Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. Okay, so Sarah, I'm dropping you off at ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, we're talking about cooperatives and the ways that it can help you improve your quality of life, improve your community. And, you know, we try to have some positive conversations, and we really want to get out of the political conversations because too often those are not very positive in today's uh, presidential election. So today we have Rosemary Mahoney on the line with us today. Good morning, Rosemary. Good morning, Vernon. How are you today? Oh, I'm pretty good. How about yourself? Fantastic. Good. You have a wonderful bio, and how did you get started in co-ops? Um, well, I... I when I finished graduate school, my master's is in agricultural economics. Um, I was looking for a job. I wanted to work with farmers, but not be an extension agent. And at the Ag Econ Association meeting, I met the Agricultural Cooperative Service at USDA. And so they hired me to be a cooperative development specialist and essentially taught me about co-ops and taught me about business development. And so I spent four years working in Washington, traveling around the U.S., helping farmers and rural crafts people form new cooperatives. Did you study cooperatives at all in agriculture economics at University of Illinois? No, I did not. They did not did not have a program. I think they do now, but when I was there. No, in order to learn about co-ops, I had to go down to the library and look for some books and some pamphlets, and most of them came from the USDA uh, Ag Co-op Service. And so I reviewed those and read those and realized that my family farm, we were members of probably three or four cooperatives. And um, it was just not something we talked about. And my, my parents weren't active in co-ops. So I just, I learned them as I went. And as I learned them, I thought, wow, these are great. You know, and plus it was a, just a wonderful environment to work in. So I've always been, you know, pretty happy and comfortable working in a co-op community. What did your family farm? Corn and soybeans. We're conventional farmers in, in the Midwest. So corn, soybeans, hogs, cattle. Corn, soybean, hogs, cattle in the Midwest. Yep, yep. And you owned three co-ops, but they didn't talk about co-ops, so there wasn't a, a dinner table conversation. No, my dad was usually a little frustrated because you know, he would get his 1099 PATR and 20% in cash, but then he had the tax burden on the full 100% of the earnings off of his business, and he was just like, I'm never going to get this back until I die. Um, so he always thought that was a little frustrating, although he understood it. But, you know, he did business with a co-op, and we, we bought all of our, our fertilizers and inputs and fuel from the co-op. And my uncle worked at the co-op. He, he delivered fuel for them. So he spent his career working at the local co-op. So you belong to a purchasing co-op, and they bought their fertilizer and fuel. The farmers belong to this co-op, and therefore you could get a better price, maybe better quality fertilizers yeah. or seeds or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So the, the local farm supply and grain cooperative was uh, one of their terminals was right across the road from one of our farms. And so uh, my uncle worked from there and he delivered fuel to farms as well as, you know, households for um, heating and, you know, for, for their furnaces. And um, 
So we belong to that. And then we also belong to the Rural Electric Cooperative. And my dad also did some borrowing and some banking with um, farm credit, the local land bank. So he did financial services, Mm -hmm. purchasing, Mm -hmm. and what was it? Rural Electric. Rural Electric, exactly. So you didn't have a marketing co-op, though, to market your products to? No, we stored and marketed all of our product ourselves. And so we had, but the local uh, cooperative built our grain facility. And so uh, they were the contractor that came out and built our grain bins and set up the grain leg and the dryer and all of that. So, um, but we stored, yeah, we stored all of our own grain. And then we would transport it to the river directly. Rosemary, you're just talking like secondhand, but most of the people <laughs> listening are probably urban <laughs> folks and don't know what the slightest thing you're talking about. Built your <laughs> okay, well, well, we basically had our own storage facilities for grain, and which means that you know once we harvested it, we just took it back to our farm, we stored it, and then when it came time to sell it, we sold it directly ourselves. We handled that. We didn't use the cooperative to do that. And then we had our own trucks, or we hired trucks to take that grain, usually to the Illinois River, where it would be then loaded into barges and sent out for export. Oh, sent out for export. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would go down to New Orleans Terminal and then be loaded up for export. But did you all talk about this at the dinner table where you had a sense of what was going on? Which you, were, you may not have talked about co-ops, but I have a sense of purchasing from the local co-op and um, doing the credit from the Farm Credit Bureau and the Rural Electric, or was it like the Rural Electric, like a credit union? You just belong to it and work with it, but you don't really get the co-op piece. Yeah, I'd say it was more like that. I mean, I worked on the farm when I was growing up, and so when I was in high school and college during summer breaks and, you know, weekends when we were busy, um, I worked on the farm. And so I would spend a lot of time with my dad and my brothers um, who were farming, and we would talk about it more in that context than we did generally sitting around the table, I would say, mm-hmm. as a family. But I, But I also, when I went to... To college, I studied agricultural business, and I came home and I farmed for a year with my dad and my brothers, and then I went back to graduate school uh, for an agricultural economics degree. So because I was studying and working in agriculture, then I, you know, those were, we were having those conversations because we were just talking about the business and the choices and the things that we were doing to support the farm business. I've got to go all the way back to 20%, never would pay this off for the rest of my life. What were you talking about? Oh, okay. So, um, you know how the um, cooperatives distribute their profits, right? So at the end of the year, uh, when a cooperative closes its books for the year and identifies the the profits that they've earned from member business, they have some choices in terms of how they distribute that profit. But by and large, they distribute it back to the members on the basis of how much business a member did with the cooperative that year. So that's the fundamentals patronage returns, right? And so with the tax law in the United States, if a cooperative pays 20% of that earning in cash and then puts the remaining 80% of that earning into an allocated account, so let's say they put it into an account, an equity account in my father's name, and then they wrote him a check for 20% in cash, when he filed his taxes for the next year, he owed taxes on the full 100% of that earning because it was considered distributed to him 
in his name. But only the, so he only got 20% in cash. I mean, that's just typically how co-ops, many co-ops now will say, okay, what's the tax burden of that distribution to our members? And make sure that they distribute enough of it in cash that it covers whatever the tax obligation on the full 100% would be. But you know, for him, he would watch that equity build and build and build. So he was, you know, he had a lot of investment in the cooperative, but he could only get that back at the discretion of the board, right? And so it was a decision that was beyond his control, unlike if he had an investment in Coca-Cola. If he wanted his investment from Coca-Cola back, he would just sell his stock, but he couldn't do that in the co-op. But you're talking about the third principle, which is member economic participation. You put some money in, and then you take some money out. And you're talking about the taking exactly. the money out part when there's profit. But I've always uh, been told that the members have a lot of say on how that's taken out in that they elect the board of directors, and then they also have annual meetings, and they can say to the, the board, here's, what, here's how we want this to come out. It's true. And, and, and I would say in – Certainly in my father's case, he probably did not participate very actively in the co-op. So he would have been one of those guys sitting on the fence kind of complaining about how it was. But at the same time, if you look at an agricultural cooperative, they generally have a lot of assets to support. They've got a lot of investments they need to make, and they have limited ways to raise capital. And so, you know, they're unlikely to return a lot of that capital because they need it to sustain the cooperative. And so, on the other hand, and what I used to say, debt, you know, the value of having this co-op here is that they create competition in this market. If you didn't have the co-op, you'd have only one other person to buy from, one other company to buy from. And so, you know, it's harder to quantify that value, but I don't doubt that it's there. Yeah. And I think he believed that as well. I mean, like I say, he, 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 up until he died, he was doing almost all of his business with the co-op. So you have a history, grounded history in co-ops, but you really didn't get to it until you got your first job with my Department of Agriculture. Right. Correct. And you were cooperative development specialist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back then, it was called the Agricultural Cooperative Service. And there were, there were four of us in Washington that were cooperative development specialists. And we traveled around the United States doing, uh, advising farmers. We were basically consultants. And then there were three state offices. So there was an office in North Carolina, one in Ohio, and one in Hawaii. And, th- and there was a cooperative specialist in each one of those offices as well. And where did you go from there? Well, from there, I, I, um, it was 1991. And if you remember the, um, the Berlin Wall collapsed and, and so you know, communism was, was collapsing in Eastern and Central Europe. And so I took a job with Volunteers and Overseas Cooperative Assistance, VOCA which is affiliated with the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, and I was their regional representative in, at the time, it was Czechoslovakia and Hungary. And then the Czech and Slovak Republic split about a year after I, well, a couple of years after I got there. So then I was the regional representative for th- those three countries. And I did that for about seven years. And so we provided short-term consultants and advisors to advise on primarily th- primarily economic transition projects. They were all in agriculture, so we were helping with the privatization of collective farms, or the transition of collective farms, privatization of state companies. We did some cooperative development work with uh, individual farmers. That should have been um, farm and fun and uh, exciting and probably frustrating all at the same time. Changing. That's exactly right, and, but it was fascinating, you know, and part of what I 
it was just such an interesting time, right? We, you know, we got there and had our, our program in place before, you know, the privatization laws had even been passed. Right. And Sorry. so it was. We've got to take our first break. I'm sorry. Okay. We'll take okay. our first break and we'll be right back. Get the news, the weather, and the traffic, and we'll be back. Please don't touch that dial. We're talking to Rosemary Mahoney. 1450 WOL. Information is power. That's why WOL is a great partner for this program because we're giving you the information, the information that you could use to start a co-op or look look for a co-op to do business with. And this information, if you use it, is where you'll get the power. Co-ops are entities that can help solve community problems. And we have Miss Rosemary Mahoney on the line with us this morning, and she's already told us she's a farm girl from Illinois who went off to school to study about farming, economics of the farm household. And then she traveled, got a job with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, traveled around the U.S. helping to start co-ops and helping farmers. And then the next job, she traveled around Europe. And that's where we left off. I'm going to go back there. How was that uh, five years or so of going to a formal communist part of the world, which is changing into democracy and cooperatives. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? Yeah, well, it was, it was, I mean, for me personally, it was a you know fascinating time. And I was managing offices and managing staff and, you know, operating these programs. And so it professionally, it, you know, kind of forced me to, to really step up above where I was operating before. But, but from a cooperative perspective, it was, it was challenging in the sense that, you know, cooperatives had been, of course, really strong in Central Europe um, prior to the Second World War, prior to the you know, imposition of communism through there. And so all the assets of the cooperatives had been nationalized and had been essentially taken. And so the older people remembered cooperatives and they remembered them, how valuable they were to the, the lives that they were leading in the 20s and 30s and 40s. You know, there was there were credit cooperatives, there were credit and savings cooperatives, there were consumer cooperatives, so the grocery stores were all cooperatives, and, and then there were agricultural cooperatives supporting the farming that they were doing. And so, you know, the assets of all of that had been nationalized. And so the the co-op structure that was left was very weak, and the collective farms had been referred to as cooperatives. And so people had, um, people who didn't remember the old type of cooperatives had a pretty negative opinion of cooperatives. They just saw them as another state, another form of state control that didn't really work. And so it was, so that provided a really challenging atmosphere for trying to do cooperative development. Plus you had to wait in agriculture I mean, you had to wait for people to see if they were going to get their land back or if they, or how they were going to get it back or even if they wanted to get it back. And so there was just a lot of significant pieces that were in transition while we were working there. Were you able to help people get their land back, or how did you how did you leave it? Are you you're still doing work over there? Mm, I'm not. It's been a while since I've been there. I'm going to go back next spring. Um, each country was different, right? The Hungarians are very they're much more agrarian than say the Czechs are, and so there was absolutely a desire to get land back. Plus, they were both countries were under different hereditary rules, and so the distribution of land and the distribution of assets went back to whatever your 
kind of traditional common approach, it was assumed that anyone who had passed away during that period had passed away without a will. And so the Czechs were under the Austrian system and the Hungarians were under the Hungarian system, or the Slovaks were under the Hungarian system, as were the Hungarians. So in the Hungarian system, it went to the oldest son. So the assets were passed down through those generations during the communist period intact, right? But in the Czech, it was under an Austrian system, and so it was evenly divided to all the heirs. And so you could have a 50-acre farm that was going to be divided into, you know, 50 pieces. And so it, it so that created a, a much different dynamic in terms of how it how it happened. And so the, so in terms of doing co-op development, we actually did some in Hungary. We did some in Slovakia because people went and got their land back, and they were wanting to farm as individual farmers. In the Czech Republic, some people took land back, but but for the most part, the farms transitioned into kind of large, I would call them limited liability companies, and they continued to be operated as larger farms. Mm-hmm with um, the, the people who actually own the land of the farm becoming shareholders in those farms and earning some rental income from, for the land. So it looks like the next big piece you went to was the executive director for cooperative development services. Right. I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and, and became the executive director of, of CDS, and we were operating in Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And then we also operated a consulting program for food cooperatives. And I did that for two and a half years. So how was that transition from you went to the U.S. To, to Europe and then back to the U.S.? Um, it was challenging. I mean, they always tell you when you live overseas that it's, it's actually more difficult to come back than it is to, to okay. go when you first move. And I think... Uh, I've always thought that it is true. It was more difficult, I th- but I think it's because when you move overseas, you expect things to be culturally different, right? You mm-hmm. expect that when you come back to the States, you expect, well, this is my culture. This is my community. It'll be fine. And, of course, it was fine, but I think what's difficult is that you've taken yourself out of it for, well, for me, it was seven years, and everybody else has moved on. And so you're kind of like, those are kind of like missing years for you. So it takes a little bit of time to kind of catch up and reintegrate. But, you know, it's, if you're going to work in co-ops, working in the upper Midwest is you just can't get a better place. You know, I worked with Rod Nelson and Judy Z. Watts and Ann Reynolds and Bob Crop and, you know, just a, a whole host of folks up in, up in the upper Midwest that were, you know, I could say leaders in co-op development and, and thinking about how to, how to create new cooperatives and how to support the ones that we have. And so it was a, it was an excellent place for me to return to and, and the work that we did. What kind of work did you do there in CDS? Yeah, we did a lot. We did a lot with, um, as I mentioned, we had a, a we had a food co-op team. So we had three or four consultants who were working nationwide advising our, um, food cooperatives. And so one of the things we did was we we brought that team together and said, let's you know let's set you up like a consulting cooperative. You know, we'll be your administrative services and lend you our name and we'll do your advertising and all of that. But let's see if we can build a team and, and, and make this a bigger entity that can do more for the food co-ops. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the I worked with Bill Gessner and Marilyn Scholl to do that. And I think that, you know, that cooperative now is truly an independent cooperative. And I think it has like 30 or 40 consultants associated with it. And so that's been quite successful. But then we did a lot of work with um, organic and natural foods and cooperatives in the upper Midwest that were trying to form farmers that were trying to form cooperatives. 
uh, to market organic and natural foods. We did work with sustainable forestry cooperatives. So we were, you know, we, we ran a program in the Twin Cities called the, what was that called? It was called the Organic Alliance. And so that was a program to connect organic farmers with in the Twin Cities market. And so a lot of the retailers that participated in that were the food cooperatives. And then the farmers were organized into cooperatives as well. So that was so our, that work was also largely agriculture focused. So farming has been a big piece of what you've been doing your life. And then yeah. cooperatives cooperatives and then both national and international. Although exactly. Some, sometimes when exactly. I think of upper Midwest, I think of that as being international too from, from <laughs> It has a real international focus, that's for sure. And um you know, and, and it really was after I left CDS that I started working in other uh, types of cooperatives. And I would say now the preponderance of if any of my agricultural work is international and the preponderance of my domestic work is, is not, not in agriculture. Well, let's talk about, let's go to what you've been doing since you left CDS. What have you been doing? <laughs> okay, well, my... My first stop was uh, I started doing work with a group called um, – well, I got elected to the NCBA board, the National Cooperative Business Association board, right at the time I was leaving CBS. Um, well, let me give my, a plug for NCBA. They're celebrating their 100th year this year. They were yep. started in March of 1916, and so there were co-ops before they started. And so co-ops have been around the U.S. a long time, but people don't know mm-hmm. about them, and that's the reason that NCB is sponsoring this show. Okay. Right. Exactly. You got elected to their board? Yep, I did. And um, and then I took a job. I was actually going to go back to graduate school, but I ended up not, not doing that and um, for family reasons. And then I, um, I took a job with a startup that was called Cooperative Solutions. And what we were trying to do was incubate and put together purchasing cooperatives of independent businesses. Um, the founder of Cop Solutions had organized a cooperative called Amarok, whose members were independently owned drywall distributors. And the idea, and it was it was quite successful. And so the, the idea was that, um, and it was really modeled off of IMARC Cooperative, which um, the CEO at the time was Steve Cunningham. He's today the chair of the NCB board. Um, and the idea was that we would, we would um, create more of these cooperatives. And, you know, and over time we did create, um, probably about five or six new cooperatives focused on independent business owners and helping them come together to compete with either big box competitors or um, the advertising that they wanted to do nationally. But it was really to negotiate national uh, contracts on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for about two and a half, three years. And then when I stopped doing that, we essentially failed in our endeavor. Uh, we formed these cooperatives, but the cooperative solution itself didn't survive. I... Can, we, can we stop there a minute? We've got to take our next mm-hmm. break. Sure. But I wanted to come back and talk about, <clears throat> you said cooperative solutions did not go on. It didn't survive. It didn't Mm-mm. make it. But you did create some co-ops. So your mission, you did what you were intended. But I'd like to talk about why it did not survive when we come back and then move forward. Uh, Rosemary Mahoney is our guest today, and she's got a wealth of knowledge and experience in co-ops, both in the U.S. and nationally or internationally and we'll come back and talk to her please don't touch the dial
1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. We're talking about cooperatives and why they're so great for the community. The National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. NCB's mission is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on the needs of communities that are economically challenged, economically challenged communities. And unfortunately, most economically challenged communities are rural communities, and communities of color. And that's what their mission is. Today we have Ms. Rosemary Mahoney on the line who has a lifelong, wonderful bio in the cooperative world, mainly in agriculture, but we were just starting to talk about other things that she's been doing. And that's where we wanted to kick back on, but talking about Cooperative solutions, and you said it was to there to develop co-ops, and you developed about five of them, but then went under. And I was going to ask you, why did it go under? What happened? Well, I think it was a combination of hubris, <laughs> frankly, and just uh, trying to grow too fast. So if we were doing this during the you remember the dot com bubble, so we were kind of caught up in that idea that yeah, you just go ahead and it's okay to operate at a big operating loss because you're going to catch it up over time. And that thing was is to get as many businesses started as fast as we could. And then, you know, and then the earnings would catch up with, with all that we were expending to do it. Um, and frankly, you know, co-op development, even if it's a brilliant idea and you can get a cooperative to profitability in, in 12 to 18 months, it still is a lot of work and it takes a lot of attention. And I think we, um, as a management team, we overestimated our skills and we underestimated the amount of work it would take. And, you know, being totally honest, um, you know, some of the co-ops we started were, and we also talked ourselves, we, we also got out of our core business area. And so what we had been doing was organizing cooperatives for independent business owners, but primarily they were in the distribution business. And we started taking on projects where we were working with retailers and um, individual kind of uh, professionals out in the market who were delivering their services, like photographers. Well, that's a, dif- that's a completely different scale, and it's also a completely different business model because they're in a business they're in a, they're, they're operating a different business model. And I think, you know, kind of bottom line, it is much easier to get business than it is to service it. Mm-hmm. And and we we kind of hung ourselves on our own petard, quite frankly. Corporate solution was it itself a cooperative. It was, let me think for a minute. Was it, yeah, I think it was an LLC. Okay. And, um, and it was an incubation model. And then we were going to be providing to the co-ops we formed. The idea is we would, we would provide them non-core business services as well. So for instance, if we formed a cooperative whose members were in roofing and siding, Mm -hmm. You know, the cooperative itself would negotiate the contracts for roofing, for siding, for the core products that those members were buying and reselling. But every business needs insurance. Every business needs a paper program. Every business needs credit card processing. Those kinds of business services that are, I would call, Mm non-core. But they're, I mean, they're core to your business success, but they're not the core 
business, business that you're in, yeah. right? And we were going to negotiate those on behalf of all the cooperatives and the businesses that were being served by those cooperatives. Um, and then we were putting in place accounting, HR management. So we were a shared services cooperative as well as an incubator and, and, and co-op developer. Sounds like a great idea. And the reason I wanted to go back and spend a little time on it is because what I have it is that co-ops, like you have a 70, 80% that succeed. If you look Mm -hmm. at five, 10 years out, we're in a normal capitalistic model. You have 70, 80% to fail in five or 10 years out. So it's like, and what makes the co-op succeed is what I've been told is that they succeed. The ones that succeed is because it takes longer and they get educated Mm -hmm. and they make wiser Mm -hmm. decisions. Um, Right. And when you get three, four, five people together that are making the decisions, provided they learn how to make decisions together in a cooperative way, then Mm -hmm. the decisions are normally better than if one person is making those decisions. So that's why I want to go. But some co-ops fail. Uh, yep. Which is, yeah. But a lot less. Um, yeah, some do, and I think you know the yeah you know, the opportunity to do cooperatives for independent business owners. I think is still a, a really kind of rich opportunity overall. And you know, I'll go back to you know anybody listening to this who knows me. One of my one of the areas I think has tremendous opportunity is employee services, employee benefits. Because if you look at any independent, you know, the United States, we deliver a social safety net through employment. And, you know, and independent business owners are expected to provide provide those benefits and to manage those benefits. And it becomes increasingly difficult over time, right? And there's a lot of risk to a business in doing it wrong. And a small business owner can't deliver the quality of benefits that a large corporate employer can. And so if you could aggregate that benefits function on behalf of independent business owners, it would provide tremendous value to those business owners. They're spending 30 to 40% of their time on their HR function now. It would allow them to get better quality benefits for their workers at a lower cost, more professionally managed, and the workers would benefit because they would be getting higher quality benefits than what they're getting now. And so, you know, kind of my dream is that, you know, we could do those kinds of co-ops. And if you could do that, I think Almost every business owner in America would lobby a member of those co-ops, and it would raise the profile co-ops in a way that I think almost nothing else could. I love this. That's my pitch. I got so excited about it, I choked up. (laughs) I love this idea because I'm a small business owner, and it is almost, well, not impossible, but it feels that way. I've been in the business for 24 years managing houses, um, property mm-hmm. manager, and that's how I learned about co-ops, managing mm-hmm. housing co-ops. But doing those HR functions, and as you said, if you make a mistake, <clears throat> it's only God can help you or you're going to pay dearly. <laughs> yes, you are, and and, 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 your, and your employees might pay. I mean, the risk is, and the risk of, you know, the penalties can be high enough. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it could just put you out of business. And so think if you could combine with other property agents and, form a cooperative that could be nationwide. And then, you know, and then you had an employee who decided to move to another property management company. Maybe they were moving across country or something for their spouse's job. You know, they could take their benefits with them because they'd be in the same, they'd be under the same umbrella. And All right. so. When are we going to start anyway. that, Rosemary? I'm ready. Okay, let's get that going. <laughs> let's ready. <laughs>
So where did you go from Cooperative Solutions? Um, after Cooperative Solutions, I actually started consulting, and that's what I do now. So I'm a independent consultant, and I work on, and, you know, I, I kind of stepped back and thought, what do I enjoy the most? And I, I enjoy doing international work. I enjoy, and I do enjoy doing consulting. So I, although I have managed companies, I much prefer doing projects and actually doing the work and working with folks who I can help either form a co-op or strengthen their nonprofit or whatever it might be. And so I started doing consulting and I put together a combination of international work. I do try to do two or three international projects a year and then just domestic consulting. So I was advising groups that wanted to form purchasing co-ops. Um, I joined the National Co-op Bank Board. I did a big project with the National Co-op Grocers as part of the CDS food co-op consulting team and through that ended up joining the NCG Board, National Co-op Grocers Board. And then I was Walden Swanson and Kate Sumberg uh, talked me into joining Co-Metrics or Co-op Metrics at the time. And so I started doing business development for Co-op Metrics and eventually became CEO for about three or four years. And now I'm the board chair of Co-Metrics and I continue to do some work um, on business development for them. What, let's talk about Co-Metrics for a minute. What, okay. what, does, what do you all do? What does that so organization do? Yeah. So Co-Metrics is a cooperative. We're a hybrid cooperative, so we have three classes of membership. We are partially worker. The workers, there's a worker class, so we're a worker cooperative. We also, the organizations that use our services uh, can join the cooperative as a member of the consumer class, and then we have a class for founders, so for the people who form the company and, and basically work for little to no wages for a number of years to help get it started. So basically, you know, fundamentally what we do is we provide operational and financial benchmarking services for cooperatives, independent businesses, and nonprofits who use our services. And so um, our clients are generally um, organizations that have a membership of, who have members that are individual businesses or cooperatives. And um, they come to us and say, we want to provide benchmarking services or we need portfolio management services for these members that we have. So they're kind of an aggregator that brings us a group of businesses. And then we'll, we'll collect the financial uh, information and the operational information from those individual businesses and provide benchmarking reports and dashboards and then also uh, portfolio management reports to the company who came to us. So, for instance, the National Co-op Grocers, they have you know, 130 members, and their members all submit their financial and operational data to us on a quarterly basis. And then we provide uh, management and benchmarking reports to those members, and then we provide portfolio management reports to NCG. And what's the portfolio management? Well, that would be looking at things like, so if NCG has 130 members, they're able to look at the you know, the financials and the operating metrics of all of their members as a whole, as a portfolio. And so they can they can direct resources. The cooperative can direct resources towards members who are maybe not performing very well or their financial performance is slowing. And they can they can reach out and help those cooperatives. Talk to them about what's going on and seeing what the what MCG as a cooperative can do for its member. And so that's what the portfolio management services are. We also do it for impact investors, and they'll use it for um, monitoring the health of their prof- in their investment portfolio. And they'll also, again, reach out to investments that they might have and say, you know, it looks like you're missing your targets. You know, what can we do? What's going on? How can we help? 
um, and then they use it to do reporting to their board mem- to the investors' board members as well. I was the president of the National Association of Housing Co-ops, and what you were talking about is exactly what I wanted for the National Association of Housing Co-ops, for its members, for its mm-hmm. housing mm-hmm. co-ops, is that some way that we could, I, I see it as adding value for being a member, um, that mm-hmm. you could look at and as a group all of the housing co-ops that belong, it's a lot in the U.S., mm-hmm. belong to the National Association and could say, Give us all of your financials. Give us all your financials, and mm-hmm. we could look at them and compare them across and then give some advice to individual members on what you might need to do to improve. Um, sounds fascinating. Right, exactly. And so you can, and then you could, you could segment by maybe whether they're urban or rural. You could segment by, you know, maybe some of them are serving seniors and others are serving low-income families. You could segment by state. You know, so you can start to drill down and really look into peer groups, or you can look at it at a higher level. And so it, it does provide a lot of, I would say, extra juice to a, to a cooperative who has a variety of members, right? Because it, it allows you to say, you know so much more about your members. You know how they're doing. You know, you know ultimately, as a cooperative, you're successful if your members are successful. And so you might be providing that, you know, tools and services to your members that have tremendous value. But there may be something else that they could benefit from as well. And if, and, and you may not know what that is because you don't really know enough about your members. Tremendous value. Okay. And your members may be sitting out there thinking, okay, I'm struggling with this, and i got to figure out how to fix it. But in reality, it might be a common cause. Every member in that co-op may be struggling with the same thing because of the industry they're in or the way they're structured or whatever. But they don't know it if they can't compare their data. We have our third and final break. The hour goes by okay. real quick. We'll be right back. After the news. Fourteen fifty WOL. Information is power. Listen, um, I'd like to give you the definition of co-ops for those of you out there that have not been listening before. And we've already talked about the four major groups, but it depends on who owns and controls the business to get the definition of a cooperative. If the business is owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. If the business is owned and controlled by the people that uses the services, of the products is called a consumer cooperative, and examples of those are credit unions, housing co-ops. In Madison, Wisconsin, there's a health clinic that's owned by the patient. It's a consumer co-op. And then we have farmers and artists and other groups that come together to purchase the products that they need for products and equipment that they need for their business, and it's called a purchasing co-op. And then you get groups come together to market whatever they produce, and it's called a marketing co-op, and, that, and there's benefits for coming together using the values and principles of cooperation. Uh, and our guest, Rosemary Mahoney, has worked in all of these areas. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the cooperative gadfly. Okay. <laughs> the question I normally ask at the end of the show and before we get to the end of it, I'd like to ask you, do you like what you do? Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah, no, I do. 
Why? I really. Why? Well, oh, I feel really lucky, right, to have found the co-op community because it's really been kind of a home for me professionally. But I also like it because I like doing project work. I mean, I, you know, so if you can, you know, so I could I could spend my whole life just working with purchasing co-ops. But every time I would work with one, I'd be working in a different sector. I'd be working with a different group of folks, and so that gives you an opportunity to learn and to experience something and just kind of add to that body of knowledge, right? And so, and that, I really like doing that. That's really, I have figured out that for me professionally, that's that's much more interesting than, you know, I'd much rather help somebody build something than, than necessarily build it myself. And, um, you know, what I get out of it, obviously it's compensated, but I also get, you know, the kind of joy of learning about new things and, and, and new industries. And so that's why one of the reasons I like international work, because it keeps me in agriculture, but it also, you know, I learned about, about a lot of new um, value chains. I learned about new countries, about, you know, how agriculture is working there. And so that's the, you know, positive benefit for me. You know, Rosemary, I, I hear you, but I, let me tell you why I fell in love with co-ops. And I didn't know this and when I fell in love. I did know that there's this fifth uh, principle of education. Um, because I did teach for 12 years in my life, and education was a big part of it. But education, training, and information is a big part of being a cooperative. They try to educate the members and educate the community mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. educate the world. And then when you go to the values, they call the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others, that particular piece of caring for others. Because I, mm-hmm. I, I've come to believe that, while we're on this earth, that's one of the real reasons that we have communities, whether they're villages or tribes or whatever we've come out of, is that we end up caring for each other in families and communities. And we don't necessarily get that in the capitalistic model, but in the cooperative model, we definitely get it. With well, audience. I totally agree. And, I, and, you know, knowing that I'm on a show called All Things Co-ops, I should have talked more about the co-op piece. I was talking about myself. I mean, the fact that I can work in cooperatives and work in all these different places and with all these different people. I mean, the idea of, of, of helping them form a business that's going to benefit them and their family and their community that they can own and control and not just be at the kind of the back and call on the whim of whatever corporate power or government power might be there. I just, I love that. I think it's, you know, it's like a quiet revolution, right? And, you know, I'm perfectly happy to spend my whole life doing that kind of work. Quiet revolution. I don't think of revolution until with Bernie Sanders that I always think of revolution as guns and, you know, riots and takeovers, but just the quiet revolution of educating people, getting people to really understand these principles of democratic member control, volunteer and open membership is for everybody. This member economic participation we already talked about, having the ability, the autonomy and independence to really control their own destinies. Well, yeah, I think, Part of we're hearing it in the political debate, right? I think people just feel really powerless, and you know, and they don't have to be. I mean, a cooperative is a structure that can that could actually help them take some control over their economic lives or their community lives. And I mean, look at the millennials; they get it. You know, I think a lot of the really interesting stuff that's happening in co-op right now is happening with the twenty-year-olds, and and it's that desire to live differently. And I think they'd say, you know, to live authentically. And so, you know, I'm thinking about taking two months off next year and just driving around and see what's going on <laughs> with the co-op development efforts and some of these community efforts that's going on because I'm I'm a little bit disconnected from it, but my sense is, is it's really pretty exciting and engaging. Well, you know, um, 
I, I would think probably not taking off driving around with all of the knowledge you have and helping them to get started. It seemed like um, a lot of the ones that are getting started would want your participation, your help, and might even be willing to pay you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy just to learn from them at this point. But uh, I've told people that they want to join me for a week that we can just, you know, make it like a little, a little uh, group trip. But I've got to get it organized. I've been talking about it now for six months. I just got to do it. Well, I may want to join you. The millennials, okay. I was for Bernie, okay, really clear, and I've switched mm-hmm. down for Hillary, really clear. Uh, I don't think Donald would do anything for co-ops. We, matter of fact, we had a, a couple's uh, session where we talked about the two of them, and we graded, them, graded Hillary and mm-hmm. Donald against the cooperative values and the, and the principles, and Hillary got an average of A, and Donald got an average of F, but... Uh, <laughs> It's volunteer and open membership. I can't even see Donald with, you know, talking about his open for, didn't depend on your gender, your race, your where you came from, religious. It just didn't make any difference. And that doesn't well, he could, what he's about. Yeah. Um, well, if you could form a cooperative of one and get all the tax benefits, Donald would be all over it. Yeah. But, I mean, I think you have to remember with Hillary, I mean, when she did health care reform back in the 90s, you know, their proposal was, was really predicated on cooperatives as the delivery mechanism. Oh, I didn't and know. And the that. aggregating mechanism for Clinton, remember Clinton health care reform, uh-huh. or what they called yeah. it? Yeah. Hillary Care. Yeah. I mean, the co ops had a major role in that. And so I keep thinking there's an opportunity there because I think she knows co ops, or at least she knew them. My sense is that once she knows something, she knows it. On her webpage, she, she does talk about co ops and she's for co ops, mm-hmm. but she doesn't set it in the. I heard one time she was for rural electors. She mentioned it, rural electric co-ops, mm-hmm. and she was for them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. A, a, for rural electric co-ops, they have a, a web page called um, vote.coop, and you can go online at vote.coop, and you can see who is running in your area, not just the presidential, but every mm-hmm. aspect of who's running in your state, in your county, in your precinct, and find out who's running and get information um, mm-hmm. It may be too late. To, well, some states you can still register, um, but for no. most states you cannot. But there are some you can even register the day of election. So it will well, tell you all about registration and so forth. Yeah, I've been doing voter registration here in Virginia, and then I've been once the deadline hit, I've been doing get out the vote. Mm-hmm. And it's just so discouraging to me when people say, "Oh, my vote doesn't matter. It doesn't matter." I mean, that's. It's right. I mean, that's that's kind of the burden of co-ops too, right? You can get people to join, but you got to get them to participate. You got to get them to engage. And I think your vote does matter. No, it does. And I told you, I said, even if you don't vote the way I want you to vote, you should vote. And you know, I would register people. And I said, well, you know, I'm a Republican. I said, I don't care. I want you to vote. You need to get out there and participate. And um, I just hope more Democrats get out and vote. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but I want, you know, I just think it's not good just to sit on the sidelines. Well, with the second principle of democratic member control, I have it, and at least I've been told on this program, we've been doing this now for three years, um, Rosemary. We only we are only going to do it for the month of October, co-op month, three years ago, and we've been doing it for, it's just taken off, and I love it, and I keep learning. But what I've, one of the things I've been told is that once people get into co-ops, and they learn mm-hmm. how it works, and they see how important it is to participate and vote, that they'll also go out in the community and vote and yeah. or run for mm-hmm. a city council or board of direct, mm-hmm. um, board of education member, but they get much more involved once they become involved mm-hmm. in, in co-ops. 
Well, I think one of the things to remember in terms of co-ops and cooperation is that, you know, they don't have to be complicated businesses, right? I mean, you might need, um, it's like babysitting cooperatives where, where families get together and, and share babysitting. I mean, they're just thinking of a structure to that, but it takes a little bit of rules to make sure that, you know, everybody's putting in and, and getting back. But it's, it's, you know, you can cooperate and you can cooperate through cooperative principles without, without um, it being overly burdensome. And, and that's kind of the key to building community and, and, and supporting your community, I think. Well, I visited a daycare center here in D.C. that's a cooperative. And mm-hmm. uh, I've talked to one up in Greenbelt, Maryland, that's a cooperative. Mm-hmm. And they seem to work really well with that participation in their formal daycare centers. And so they have formal mm-hmm. rules and regulations and board meetings and membership and all of that. But they seem to work really well. I've been trying to get them on the program, but I have not been able to yet. Well, and I think with the, I mentioned that Co-op Metrics is a hybrid cooperative. I think the hybrid cooperative has tremendous value for community development because, you know, the, you know, you look at, I mean, they were, they were, the concept came out of agriculture, mm-hmm. thinking that you could bring kind of Wall Street money into processing facilities that farmers would kind of own and control, but the, those investors would have some ownership as well. But I think in, in reality, you know, who's likely to invest in those kinds of businesses, ethanol plants and things like that? It's the local banker or it's the local undertaker or it's the local, you know, restaurant owner or the car dealer, right, who wants to have a community and wants farmers to succeed in their community. And I think you can you can take that exact concept and put it into low-income communities or any community and say, you know, you know, this business, this worker cooperative would have benefit or this having a restaurant or having some, some stores down in our downtown would have some benefit. And you could set those up as hybrid cooperatives you and draw community word. capital to support them. I'm all, sorry for that time. Yep. The hybrid is the last word. Thank you so very much. We're out of Thank time. You. I could have gone another hour with you. I love it. Everybody, we'll see you next Thursday and please cooperate. 1450 WOL.